You're listening to audio from Cibolo Creek Community Church. To learn more, visit CiboloCreek.com. All right, so here we are. We're in the third inning of a nine-inning series of messages this summer. And the title of the series is Get in the Game. Now, we all know what that means. You get in the game, you're a player down on the field. You take a position, you contribute to what the team is trying to do whether that's baseball or football or basketball or volleyball, whatever the sport, you get in the game when you're on the field, you're on the court, you're helping your team move towards success. But we also use that phrase figuratively. Like a player can be on the field and the coach will say, get your head in the game. Like focus, pay attention to what you're doing. And so we use that phrase, get in the game, as a way of encouraging people to get involved and to participate and be a part of what we're trying to do. So here at Cibolo Creek, we talk about get in the game. We're talking about getting involved in what it is that Christ has invited us to do and to what the church was called to do. So here at Cibolo Creek, here's what we're talking about when we say get in the game is actively pursuing a relationship with Jesus, not a religion about him. There's no life in that. But actively pursuing a relationship with Jesus in practical ways of living as he has instructed. That's the game. To get involved in a relationship with Jesus and learning what it is that he's invited us to be and to do. I mean, that was the instruction. Look at this, Jesus. He came to them, his disciples, and he said, this is after the resurrection. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, I'm boss. I'm the boss. So therefore, here's what I want you to do. He's talking to his early disciples. I want you to go and I want you to make other disciples. I want you to invite other people into a relationship with me of all nations, baptizing them. We're gonna do that next week and it's gonna be awesome. We're gonna baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then here's his instructions. I want you to teach those people that you've baptized who've come into a relationship with Jesus. I want you to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. This is actively pursuing a relationship with Jesus and living out in very tangible ways the things that he's instructed us to do. So we're, we're just trying to do what Jesus instructed us to do. That's get in the game. The first inning of the series, we uh, did a message called Opening Day where we looked at the church as it's discovered in Acts chapter two. It's very first uh, portrait that we have. And what we saw from that passage is that church is a team sport. It's not a spectator sport. It was designed to be engaged in, to be a part of. It's something that we do. You read Acts chapter two, verses uh, 41 through 47, three times the word together occurs and you get the drift that maybe this was designed to be together. We're supposed to do this with one another. And then in the second inning of the series, we did a we did a message last week called Fans and Players. We know who fans are. Fans sit in the grandstands and they spectate. But players, no, players suit up and they come down and they take a place on the field and they're engaged. And Jesus, when he said, come follow me, he wasn't talking about being spectators. He was talking about getting in the game, taking an active part in what it is that he's called us to do. So today's message Inning number three, it's intended to be very practical. It's gonna be obvious, hopefully, by the end of the message, it'll be obvious 
decisions that you need to make, choices that you need to determine, and a course of action that you need to pursue. You guys ready? You up for it? So today's message is entitled, Taking the Field. You're going to get in the game. You're going to be a player. At some point, you got to take the field. And we want to talk about what does it mean to take the field? So play basketball, soccer, baseball, football, volleyball. There's a court or there's a field. What, what is the field? I mean, when we talk about like spiritual journey, we talk about the church, what's the field? Well, that can be understood in a number of different ways. Let me just kind of give you a summary of that. The first one, the field is the kingdom of God. Jesus' disciples came to him and they said, uh, would you teach us how to pray? He said, sure, I want you to pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Like, your name is to be revered. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth like your will is done in heaven. And we get this understanding that God is a great king and the universe is his kingdom. And we are to invite his kingdom to come to earth. So there's kind of two dimensions that we understand the kingdom of God. And here's a quote I found this week is broadly speaking, the kingdom of God is the rule of an eternal sovereign God over all the universe. That's the kingdom of God. God is the king of all that has been created. But more narrowly speaking, the kingdom of God is a spiritual rule over the hearts and the lives of those who willingly submit to God's authority. That's, that's us as Christians. The kingdom of God grows on this earth as Christ's followers submit themselves to the authority of God as the king over their life. And they begin to live in obedience to them. Those who acknowledge the lordship of Christ and gladly surrender to God's rule in their hearts, they are part of the kingdom of God. So to begin an understanding of what does it mean to take a position on the field is to understand that we are players in the broader kingdom of God and all that he's wanting to do and accomplish in the world. Now we can narrow that down a little bit. The kingdom of God is the church, the universal church, Christians all over the world. Jesus said, I will build my church, not a building, but a group of people who were mobilized around the calling of Christ in their life. And so we get on the field when we become participants in the life of the church, Christians around the world. Does this make sense? Okay, we can narrow that down a little bit. The church, the field is Cibolo Creek Community Church. We're just one of many expressions of the larger universal church in our neighborhood. There's churches all over town, wonderful churches. We're just one of them. But when you participate in the life of Cibola Creek, then you're a part of what God has called this church to do and our role and our mission in our community and in our world. And so the field that we're inviting you to be a part of is something to do with this church because we're all in this together. 
Well, we can narrow that down a little bit too. The field is the communities where we live. That's Fair Oaks Ranch and Bernie and Leon Springs and Valverde and San Antonio and a host of other communities where you make your home, where your kids go to school, the neighborhoods in which you live. That's the field. And God's inviting you and Christ is calling you to be a player in the neighborhoods where you live, to get to know your neighbors and to love the people that you do life around. That's being a part of playing on the field. And then we understand that Jesus said, go into all the world. So the field is our region that we live in here in South Texas, our state, the nation that we're a part of and the larger world that we exist in. We, we are to be involved, to be engaged. That's the field that we play on. Does that make sense? So we say, take a position on the field. We can talk about it in a number of different ways, but it, it's ultimately about getting involved and being engaged. So let's think of it this way. If God is the owner of the team and Christians, they are the team, then let's talk about positions that you can play on the field. We're gonna keep this real simple this morning, not, not because you're simple, but I just wanna make sure that, just wanna make sure that we all understand very clearly what our role might be, what decision we need to make about the place that we're gonna play on the field. Does that make sense? I wanna talk about three positions that are available on the field. So let's start with position number one. Any place on the field where you can help, that's an open position. If you just wanna help, and that's not your heart is, I don't really care where you put me, you just put me in the game, coach. I, I, I just wanna help. Well, you can talk about the kingdom of God. You can talk about the church of Jesus Christ. You can talk about Sybil Creek Community Church. You could talk about the areas in which we live. You can talk about our region, our state, our nation, our world. And there's all sorts of places to help. There's needs all around us all the time. And you and I, we are invited to take a position anywhere we'd like to be of help. If you have your Bible with you, whether that's on a phone or you got the book, turn with me to John chapter 13. I, I just, I don't know, this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I mean, it just can't get any clearer about what our calling is. And I think it's the kind of passage your Bible should just like fall open to it because you go here so frequently to be reminded of what Jesus called us to be and to do. So John chapter 13, some of you may recall, Jesus is celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. They're all seated around a table. It wouldn't have really actually been sitting. They would have been reclining because that's how they did it. In the first century, they were reclining at the table. Jesus is at the head of the table because he's the rabbi. He would have had his um, rabbi regalia on. He, he would have looked different. He would have dressed differently than the rest of them. And we read in John chapter 13 that during that meal, Jesus gets up. And he takes off those rabbi clothes. <coughs> and he takes a towel and a basin of water, which the disciples would have immediately recognized. Wait a second, that, that, he now looks like a house servant. 
And Jesus, the rabbi, takes the role of a house servant and he washes his disciples' feet. Which would be weird to us these days because we don't do that sort of thing. But it wasn't weird in those days. People understood that a servant met you at the door and they washed your feet before you walked into someone's house because you didn't have shoes and socks back then. You walked dirty roads, your feet were dirty and it was a kind of a customary um, courteous thing to do is to have your feet washed. Well, but Jesus is the one washing their feet. We pick up the passage in uh, verse 12 of chapter 13. When he had finished washing their feet, he put his rabbi clothes back on and he returned. I love this. He returned to his place. The place that he rightly deserved. He, he returned to his place at the head of the table as the rabbi. He says, do you understand what I've done for you? Like, guys, did you get that? You call me teacher, because that's what I am. You call me Lord or master, because as your rabbi, that's what I am. And rightly so. Well, now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you should learn to serve one another, to wash one another's feet. Look at this. This is the heart and soul of what it means to be a follower of Christ. I have set you an example. I'm modeling something for you that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than the master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you what? If you do them. Folks, I can't begin to tell you the enormous difference between knowing stuff and doing it. And the church of America is full of Christians who know a ton about following Jesus. But it hasn't made the way from their head to their heart and come out in the way that they go about living their life in submission and obedience to their master. Let's not make that true about Civil Oak Creek. Let's be a community of faith that as we learn things about Jesus, we begin practicing doing what it is that he modeled for us. And one of the things that is at the top of the list of what Jesus modeled for his followers is that we were to be servants to others. So anytime, anytime that you take the role of helping another person in need, you're taking a position on the field. That could be your neighbor. That could be somebody at work. That could be a member of your family. That could be here at this church. But anytime you step forward and say, put me in the game, coach, I'm here to help. You're taking a position on the field. Make sense? All right, let's look at the second position. Any place on the field where your skills or experiences are helpful. That's the beautiful thing about Cibolo Creek Community Church. This place is full of highly skilled people who have some amazing experiences. Have you ever stopped to consider that Jesus Christ is inviting you, calling you 
to use your skills and your experiences to help serve others. But that's the problem is that so often we have these like, like categories and this dichotomy about our lives and our soul. And we think, well, this is what I do for a living. And then we look at the church and we go, I don't know what to do. And do you ever stop to think that maybe the skills and the experience that you have with what you do for a living, you, you, you could follow Jesus using those same skills, having gone through some of the experiences of your life that God could use you to help other people. I mean, look at this, whatever you do, I mean, this is the instruction of the scriptures. Whatever you do, I'm an accountant, I'm an attorney, I, 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 I'm a baker, whatever, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart, like be the best that you can be, but do it as working for the Lord, not for the man, not for the money. Do it as, this is work I do for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ that you are serving when you understand that the skills and experiences that you have are something that you can offer to God to help others. Here's, here's some categories. Maybe you have some ministry experiences. Maybe you've been a camp counselor Maybe you've served in some arena in the church throughout, you know, somewhere in your past. Maybe you've involved in some sort of parachurch ministry and you've, you've worked with people who are homeless or you've worked with orphans or, or you've had some other experience that has taught you some skills and some understanding of like that particular arena. God can use you in that way. As our church identifies ways for us to be involved in meeting the needs of our community, then you might have some skills that would be very helpful to us being of help. Work experiences. Some of you, you're so talented. And you spend 40, 50, 60 hours of your week mastering the skill that you have. Don't stop for a moment to consider that to think, well, God has no use for that. God could use what you do for a living to make a difference in other people's lives. I've, I've watched doctors and dentists. That's what they do for a profession. And then they learn about an opportunity to go to another place in our nation or to go another place in the world. And they take their skills and they provide medical or dental care to people who don't have it available to them. What's happening there? God is using you to help build his kingdom in a whole other side of the world that, that needs your help. How about this one? Educational experiences. This congregation is full of really intelligent people. And you've been to school for years and you got master's degrees and doctorate degrees and you have some educational experiences that might be of help to what God's trying to do in the world. What he's trying to do at this church. I just shoot straight with you. Some of you, you've been trained as teachers or social workers, 
Or you're, you're, you're trained in like psychology and counseling with like children or, or uh, teenagers or marriages. Or, and you have educational experiences that equip you to be used by God in ways that your job will never afford you. Because when you give it to God and use it for his church, then it lasts for an eternity. That's something you bring to God in heaven to say, here, here's what I did on your behalf in your name. Some of you, you've had some spiritual experiences. Maybe you lived, you lived a long time in your life and you were atheist <coughs> or you were an agnostic or, or you participated in some other religious pursuit. But at some point you came to understand Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, and that there was no way to the Father except through him. And you invited Christ into your life and, and you started following him. Well, you have some spiritual experiences that can be very helpful to other people who are wrestling with questions and doubts about what they believe. This place at this church for folks who are atheists and agnostic and who are kicking the tires and, and looking under the hood trying to investigate Christianity. And it may take another person who used to be where they are to help them cross the line and make a fundamental decision that would change their life for an eternity. Are you ready? One more? You guys still with me? Don't underestimate the power of the one I'm about to show you. Because God loves to use this one. Some of you have been through some really painful experiences in life. You've walked the road of cancer. You've battled with mental health issues. You've been addicted or are addicted to something. You've been through a divorce. You've wrestled with a spouse who was unfaithful to you. You had a teenager who broke your heart with the choices they made. You've been out of work for months and all that money that you had saved for someday, it's, it started disappearing as you had to meet the needs of your current reality. You've been through some really painful experiences. Now listen to me. This is hard to believe perhaps, but this is true. God was a part of that painful experience. He walked with you through all of that. And he's committed to using it because all things, all things work together for good. Cancer can work together for good. Divorce can work together for good. Broken heart because of what a teenager decides to do can work together for good because God loves to make beautiful things out of awful messes. And he can use your painful experience to touch the life of somebody else who's where they are right now that's place where you've been in the past. First Corinthians, uh, second Corinthians tells us that God comforts us in our affliction so that we can then comfort others who are afflicted. 
We need, we need here at Sibylla Creek, we need the lessons of your painful experience to help us serve other people well. Does that make sense? All right. Position number three. Any place on the field where your spiritual gifts help. You're like, my what? Your spiritual gift. You know anything about your spiritual gift? It's amazing how many Christians don't. They've either, they've either never heard it or they've heard it and just never paid attention. But there is this whole theme that runs through the New Testament that teaches us, are you ready? That when a person places their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, the Spirit of God, who we just finished talking about a few weeks ago, Spirit of God comes and he takes up residence inside of us. And when he comes and takes up residence, he brings a housewarming gift. It's called a spiritual gift, a unique God-given ability to serve others. And it may be completely different from your natural talent. It may complete, be completely different from your work uh, skills. God has gifted each and every Christian with a unique ability to serve others. You might not believe this, but I'm an introvert. I don't like big crowds of people. I kind of like going to be a wallflower. And the truth of the matter is, I didn't do all that well in school. I never really shined in my public speaking classes. But somewhere along the line, I started to test the waters and some people affirmed to me, Paul, I, I think you have a gift for teaching. I'm like, no, no, no. I, I'll do something else. No, no, you have a gift for teaching. That, that's a unique ability. I, I, that's, that's not from me. You understand? And every one of you who is a Christian in this room and online, you have one of those. Yes. Bible describes like 30 different spiritual gifts. I love this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I encourage you, we're just going to look at some highlights in the passage. Read, read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when you get home today. And then follow it up with a reading of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And you put them together, and it's an amazing message, right? Paul writes to the church at Corinth. Now, about gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't, I don't want you to be uninformed, because they were, in fact, the word he, he uses here could be better translated. I don't want you to be ignorant, not in a derogatory way. I just don't want you to go through your whole life ignorant to the fact that the spirit of God has given you a gift. And he continues, there are different kinds of gifts, all sorts of unique expressions, but it's the same spirit who distributes them. We're all on the same team. There's different kinds of ways that the, the gifts work. Sometimes they work better with children. Sometimes they work better in hospital rooms and sometimes they work better, you know, uh, in offices where we're crunching numbers and, and um, being accountable for money, but it's the same Lord. We're all serving the same owner of the team. There's different kinds of workings. God can do all sorts of different things through your gifts, but all of them. And in every way, it is the same God who is at work. The important thing is that God works through spiritual gifts. Passage continues. Now to how many? 
I'm sorry. Now to each one, each follower of Christ, a manifestation of the spirit is given for what? The common good. So that the whole family of Christ can benefit. Each one given a gift so that everybody wins. All of these are the work of the one in the same spirit as he distributes them. We don't get to choose our gift. I would have chosen a different gift. He distributes them to each one. Just as he, the Holy Spirit, in his sovereign knowledge of all, just as he determines. He's like, ah, let's see. Omar Lozano, I got a gift for you. It's for you, brother. I'm not going to give it to Paul. I'm going to give it to you. You understand that? Jerry, it's given you a gift. It's different than your wife's. Amen. I just want to go around the whole room right now and call you out. And you're like, please don't call on me. Like I can see Jessica. No, don't, don't say my name. You have a gift. God's given you. Just as a body, though one, it has many parts. But all of its many parts, they form one body. Look at this. So it is with Christ. When we talk about the church, the community of faith, we have, we have one body, we're one church, but we all have different parts that we play. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but it's made of many. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Now you, you, you are the body of Christ and each one of you, each one of you has a place on the field where your gift works best. Some of you, you're gifted by God to be shortstops. And some of you, you're better suited for third base. And some of you, you're better suited for left field. And not a single gift, not a single place on the field is less important than the other. Every position counts. Look at this. Peter writes, each of you, how many? Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. There's all sorts of freedom for how we can use our gifts to benefit, but the command is whatever gift you've been given, please serve others with it. All right. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, Speaking the truth in love, he, he's just got done talking about like spiritual gifts and how they work. He said, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect a mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You see, when you don't bring your gift to the table, when you don't take your position on the field, 
Each part's not doing its work, so we can't be as healthy and strong as we could be. When I stop to think of the potential of Sybilla Creek Community Church in our city, in our region, our state, our nation, and our world, it's an incredible amount of potential. But we'll never achieve it unless every person takes a place on the field, brings their gift to bear. So, two resources. On our website, SibyllaCreek.com, we have a place called Serve Hub. It's amazing how it works. You can either search for opportunities to serve in our church or our area by a skill or by a need. So I'm encouraging you in response to this message and this information, stop by our website, our Serve Hub. And look for a place on the field. Because I'll tell you, we need your help. So this is a very practical, tangible way to take what you've heard here today and decide on how you're going to get involved. Second resource that I want to make available to you uh, later this fall, or this fall, later summer, we want to offer a workshop that would help you Think through and figure out what your unique spiritual gift might be. But we're just interested in how many people would be interested. So there's a QR code, I think, on the front of your copy of the creek today. You know how that works. Take a picture of it. It'll take you to a survey that asks just three questions. It's so simple. Every one of us can do it. So if you're interested, and well, Paul, I... I never knew this about spiritual gifts and I have no clue what my spiritual gift is. If you're interested in that, we'd love to serve you a few weeks from now, but we need to know who would be interested. Make sense? All right. I still have a couple of minutes. This is so rare. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. This is the best gift. So let's see what I can do to go over time. All right. You want a dad joke? Did you hear about the Indian who drank too much iced tea? Drowned in his teepee. <laughs> He's shaking your head. Girl, that was good. Oh, I laugh at my own jokes. I can't even get the joke finished before I'm laughing. My boys are rolling their eyes like, oh no, here he goes. Why it does that to me. All right, listen. You ever heard the phrase, the last 10%? It's a phrase we use on our staff team. Talk about, okay, what's the last 10%? What's the part of what you're saying that you're afraid to say? You don't have to be mean. You don't have to be rude. You don't have to be inconsiderate. But what's the last 10% that you're holding because you're afraid that it might create some sort of, you know, relational chaos in the meeting? What's the last 10%? So can I give you the last 10%? As the senior pastor of this church, I carry on my shoulders the burden of what I hear almost all the time from our staff. 
and that is we need help. We just don't have enough people to help us with all that we're trying to do. Last 10%, we don't have enough people serving the children of this church Sunday after Sunday. Some people are having to do it every week. We don't have enough people who have gifts and skills and experiences that would make for great presence in our children's ministry. We're starting to look at the fact, I mean, look at our auditorium today, this is summer. We're starting to look again at the fact that we're gonna have to go to two services. That means we have to double the teams that serve in the areas of our ministry. We're gonna have to double the number of people that serve in our children's ministry and we don't have enough already. The same with our student ministry. These students are at one of the most formative moments of their entire lives. Things that are happening in their lives right now as, as young people will shape the entire course of their life for the future. And what they need is they need some men and some women to come alongside of them, give them attention and affirmation and share some of the experiences that they learned when they were teenagers and some of the mistakes that they made with the hopes of helping that our students don't make those same mistakes. We don't have enough people serving the students of our church. That's the last 10%. And then we could just take any area. We have people who have to serve every week and they do it with such grateful, gracious hearts, but they get tired. They could use a break. We'd love to have enough people on teams that we can rotate through the weeks. So some weeks you serve and some weeks you come here and you, you participate. We have, here's the deal. We have some people who serve. They haven't been in this service for years. They don't ever get to be a part of what we do here because it's so important to them that they serve our kids or our students or some other capacity. Well, we have a loft, a production crew that they could use some more people to help. I'm looking at Mark Mossel back there. He's got a vision for how our church could reach our world. We don't have enough people to do it. So from the heart of your pastor, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I don't wanna make you feel guilty. I'm, I'm really, not, that's not my intent. But I'm calling you out to follow Jesus. Jesus who invited us to be on the field of the work of his kingdom in the world and in this church. And I just breaks my heart to think of some of the gifts that you possess that are being untapped. So what do you say, Sibyl Creek? Let's be on the field. Let's be in the game. The only consolation that I find carrying that burden of all the help that we need is I'm reminded of Paul's words of the church of Philippi. My God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So I think to my heart as a pastor, it's all out there. They're here. 
I just do, I need to do a better job at figuring out how to pull them into the game and equip them to use their gifts and their talents and their skills and those painful experiences. I, I need to do a better job of equipping them to know how to use that for God's glory. So I'm inviting you. Come on down out of the stands. Take a place on the field. Get in the game. Because it will change your life. Blessed are those who do what they know. Make sense? Let's stand together. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for this church family. What an amazing group of people. And you have been so good to us. The amazing people who have come through our doors, settled into this family, rolled up their sleeves and been a part of the work that we're doing here. And I just think, Father, of those who have yet to roll up their sleeves and be a part. Father, I wanna be a church where every supporting ligament does its work. Because if we were a church like that, there'd be no stopping what you could do through us. God, ignite a vision inside of each and every one of us of what it is to be used by the creator and sustainer of the universe to bring glory to the name of Jesus by offering what you've given to us to serve others. I pray and ask this in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.